despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazi. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of grief, the bitterness of men fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass, and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, and so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everybody into Garden of Doom. Uh, we have a special guest with us who is a referral from our good friend, uh, Dr. Reverend David Parry, who any of, anybody who's been listening to the show for a while knows that he is the life force behind the Nephilim Anthropology Conference and has been the source of many a guest and, and part of the exponential growth of this show through the quality of guests that have uh, come either directly or indirectly through uh, knowing him. And he's been on the show several times himself. Um, but without further ado, our guest today is Ashley Nibb. He hails uh, from the UK, just north of London. He's a paranormal investigator, researcher, and author. How are you doing today, Ashley? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, not bad. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, first of all, I want to, if anybody hears anything different in the audio, hopefully you won't, or hopefully it will sound better. I'm using a different platform, and hopefully it's going to work out great. My lovely producer, La Sicaria, is uh, out of pocket for a little bit, uh, doing La Sicaria type of things. So, uh, Ashley, um, you've written at least two books that I see. You have a blog, um, and you are a self-identified paranormal investigator. I would love to know, uh, sort of, what's the origin story? How, how does one, you know, grow up and say, this is what I want to do, and how do you make that happen? Um, for me, I suppose it started probably when I was 11. Um, I saw something odd in a window. I mean, I, I, I mean okay, let's rewind a little bit from that. I come from a family where we, we question things. 
Um, I was always taught to question things, always taught to try and understand things and research things and under- get and understand myself. Um, so mm-hmm. when I, at 11, encountered a face in the window, I suppose is the best way to call it, in a manor house opposite opposite where I used to live, um, it intrigued me because the manor house was empty. So there was no one in there, so I couldn't understand why there'd be someone in there. So um, that kind of drew me into the world of ghosts and paranormal I suppose and looking into that kind of thing researching reading I didn't actually do an overnight investigation for many 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 years later um and, and then by that point I'd, I'd read a read a hell of a lot and uh wrote notes and things about that as well and get an understanding from that but as soon as I went into doing an overnight investigation I had a paranormal experience um on that first overnight investigation sort of an event overnight investigation and I was hooked basically <laughs> and um from that point forward I kind of I wanted to know more. So every time I got an answer, I had 10 more questions. And I just continuously kind of, and I, and I still do now, I, I want to know more, not just about the paranormal, about what, all that kind of, but why people are driven around it, why why they understand about what their belief systems are around it, why one thing might happen. So it goes from all kinds of aspects, from uh, people's beliefs in, in ghosts and spirits, um, spiritualism, to telepath- telepathy, uh, telekinesis, um that supernormal abilities, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. So, it, the origin story. I mean, that's a quite brief kind of run, but the origin story is kind of like one experience amongst um, a lot of research and reading that I continue to do today. Keeps me sort of churning over, going from one question to ten every every time I answer that question. Right. So most people around my age, and I'm middle aged. I'm generous to some of the audience hearing that, but fifty four is middle aged. Uh, most of our first introduction into the paranormal investigators, although we did probably didn't realize it at the time, was the Scooby Doo gang. Uh, yeah. Then, 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 then in your formative years, Ghostbusters come up, and then you, you know, shows. Then cable gets bigger, and you find things like um, Mythbusters and Ghost Hunters and paranormal experiences and shows. And you, you see folks with you know different tools and things like that. So uh, you know, you know, obviously recorders and and videotapes and and you know phones. Uh, cameras, uh, you know, and others have like different kinds of spectrum uh, measurements. I mean, none, none of that looks cheap. I mean, well, some of it does, your phone or, you know, video cameras or whatever, but like all these different spectrum things, like how how did you learn what's real, what's useful to you, what do you need, what do you need different tools for different types of uh, investigations? I suppose for me, I, I went I went through a full circle with that. So, like, like I said before, I actually went out on overnight investigations. I, I was I was reading and taking notes. So I, I had a notebook and a pen, and I was just scribbling things down. Um, I went out on some investigations and uh, met people that had all kinds of gadgets, um, EMF detectors, so K two meters and audio recorders. Um, and back then, we everyone had CC teams had CCTV systems and all that kind of stuff as well to capture evidence, um, as, it's, as they called it. Um, and I went through that whole cycle. So I, I brought the flight case and had all the bits and pieces in it and had the mail meter and the uh, the the, uh, the digital voice recorders. And uh, I really, I think there's a box behind me somewhere that's got a CCTV system in it that's cost probably about 500 quid. Um, and that had like several cameras and audio and all that kind of stuff as well. So I went through the whole the whole cycle of going through all, all through the, the buying, the buying the kit and having the gadgets and then rolling it out and rolling it out quicker and quicker at every, every investigation so we could document as much as possible on this stuff um can help cameras um both, both uh, digital and, and video obviously as well to carry around with you um and i've got <laughs> the weirdest thing is like, i've got to a point now i don't know whether it's because i'm i'm getting middle age. I, I am middle age as well so maybe i'll get to the point where i think like, 
I don't really need all that kit. I just I've gone back to almost gone back to having like a a, a notebook. I've got a digital recorder, but I don't use it for EVPs. I use it for um, capturing witness statements and things like that. Um, because obviously you can't write as fast. I've got a notebook and a pen that I always carry with me and make notes in. Um, I was at an investigation last night at um, the famous Jamaica Inn, and I was doing exactly that. I was, I was writing notes every time I went through a vigil. Um, but I don't, and I take pictures using my phone um, to of the location because the cameras are brilliant on those now. So but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't rock up like the old days in a car and offload a ton of kit and then and then set it all up around the building. Um, I kind of just kind of go with the flow, make notes and that kind of stuff now. So I've, I've gone kind of full circle in my book and kind of reduced down what I use. So, But um, I did go through that whole tech phase and it, it's it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the same time as you've got all that tech as well, you're trying to hit as many locations as possible. And that's not cheap either. That's expensive in you know in fuel to get there and also in, in hiring the locations and that kind of stuff as well. So it's not a cheap hobby, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, what is... The the what's the conversion of a quid to US dollar? Oh god. Um or what's five hundred <laughs> you know around. Five hundred quid is expensive. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of money but in, in my books. I mean so I I don't know what the conversion rate is at the moment, but it's it's usually it's usually not too far off a dollar and a pound aren't too far off each other as far as I understand. Oh a so quid is a pound. It's just it's just a pound, a yeah, a pound, yeah. Uh, okay. uh, sorry, uh, yeah, pound sterling. Okay, that's right. I, I I didn't know pound, sterling, quid were all the same. Oh, so yeah, know, that's basically, you have to remember, I'm an ugly American. We don't know that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I had to remember that you don't use the euro there. Uh, I'm not sure if that no. was a smart idea or not idea. I have no idea. Anyway, um, all right. So that's your origin story. You 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 got into all of the technology, but actually for your methodology, you've decided that it's better, at least most of the time, to uh, go the old-fashioned route. So how did people find you? Like, how did you get your first case, or how did you decide the first thing to uh, proactively, affirmatively investigate? So for me, um, like I said, from reading, I understood about locations that were supposed to be haunted. Um, I joined uh, paranormal event teams, um, around the UK on their on their investigations, so basically social media is the best place to find all those kind of things. So I went I went through that route. Um, after a while of getting tired of going on events where you had forty plus people, I wanted to shoot, like shrink it down a little bit. So I started my own team, um, and I, I I had a group of people that we went to various different locations. So I was contacting the locations and hiring them out myself, and then splitting the cost between the group. So I'd have a group of about seven to ten people, and we'd go to those locations and investigate those, and that was quite. That was quite good because it was different from the events because it was, it was hyped. Um, actual cases, um, they're minimal, uh, come along few and far between. Um, but now, today, I'm now a member of the Society for Cycle Research. And within that, they've got a spontaneous cases committee. And I'm, I'm on that committee. And we, we, we look at cases that come in via their website um, and pick up cases from people, not just in the UK, but all around the world as well. Well, that's great. Um, is it self-funded? Do people pay the group to do the investigations? How, how does that work? Uh, so um, the events companies, they pay them. Um, when I was had my own team, we split the cost between us, so a group of you know, like-minded people. Uh, the SPR don't do public investigations. They pick up cases and stuff like that, but the SPR is um, is is funded by membership because uh, it's, it's a charity-based sort of system that's been running since 1882. Um, so, yeah, so you pay pay a membership fee every year, and then you get from that a a journal, like a scientific journal that they pop out, and, and sometimes a um, 
sometimes a magazine as well. Right, and hopefully if you, it's like an investment almost. If you, yeah. you know, like a realtor, you've got to invest in certain things and then some of the houses are going to sell and some of them aren't and some of the stories are going to pan out and some of them aren't or even the ones that don't pan out, you know, your own website says, you know, that basically it makes it clear you're not there to establish everything. You're also there to debunk things as well. So either yeah. way, you can turn it into a work product. So, um, all right. Uh, I know that our time is a little bit limited today. So I want to jump right into what are the, the main categories of paranormal experience that you've encountered? Um, just call it professionally, like, you know, just to keep it simple. Um, and then you can maybe take me through some of the best cases or, or, or most interesting cases that you've come across and, and like sort of divide them up between different types of, spirits, demons, whatnot, and don't let me forget to get to cryptozoology because I, 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 you know, it's not the first subject, obviously, but I, I definitely want to hit that before we say goodbye. Um, okay, well, I encountered probably most kinds of different paranormal um, object movement, uh, direct voice, um, EVPs, um, God, uh, probably telepathy, probably for. In my world, EVP is executive vice president. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, electronic voice phenomena. So okay. uh, this this is this is where your your digital voice recorder. Um, you're standing in a haunted haunted house or a room in a haunted house, and then you um, try and engage with a, a spirit or ghost by um, asking direct questions, leaving a space in between to allow them to answer onto onto the device and trying to capture a response within that. Uh, you know, within within that sort of recording, and then you play the recording back, and um, you, you you sometimes get possibly sometimes uh, get something in between your questions that could be an answer, might not be an answer. You kind of have to defer that. TV shows, um, <laughs> in my opinion, I have to put that in there, um, hype it up quite a lot. Where you you'll see uh, they use EVP quite a lot because it's quite a reactive approach. So they can um, they can record something, play it back, and usually get like a kind of muffled sound. But then you often see they often say, "Oh, you, if it said this," and then you'll put they'll put what it said on the screen, which then obviously generates an understanding. People think that it says that, and they're through pareidolia. So it's a quite an interesting one, PVP. But it's it's in my book, it's quite it's quite tangible. It's quite it's quite um, it's 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 too easy to think it could be one thing when it's not. So it's a tough one to go. Yeah. So, Paradoila is interesting because, uh, you know, for those who don't know, we've covered on the show, Paradoila is when the human eye turns something that's maybe an oblique image into something that they can identify. Uh, you know, sort of the common examples, you look at the clouds and, you know, I see a turtle, um, you know, or you see some lights in the woods and you think that they're eyes or whatever. And there's actually been studies that shows that there was some, there might have been some evolutionary advantage to seeing danger when there wasn't one because the human being is not exactly built for fighting, uh, you know, wild animals. And it was safer to see enemies, whether they were human enemies or, or animals or, you know, something else, boogeymen that, you know, uh, you know, to, for, for survival. So while you, there might've been a ruffle, you might've just been seeing the reflection of raccoon eyes or deer or whatever. I'm not sure if deer reflect, but, but, um, you know, you translated that into a bear or, or an ape man or, or a demon or whatever. Um, you know, and, and that's interesting. I also wonder, is there an audible equivalent of the paradoidal concept? Is there something where you can, okay, what, what's, what's that word called? Is there a word? For... 
Um, I I call it I just call it audible audible pareidolia because it's just it just kind of follows the same kind of kind of aspects because it's um I mean there may be they may be a um, academic word of you if you like um but I've not come across anything different um but it's it's pretty much the same kind of thing like you just explained except for there's a noise you hear and uh, you can interpret it as something else from what you can hear I mean the the best example of this is there's many 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 songs out there that people hear different lyrics than other people. Because right. of the way they interpret that that form that comes through, and um, and you you get a lot of that in EVPs because it, it, people are trying to interpret something that's not not clearly audible, and um, and then that that's kind of where it comes from. And also as well, the biggest problem with that is um, when you do EVPs, for example, in an investigation kind of scenario, if someone says that, like for example, they do a recording and they think it hit, they think they've heard something say "get out," um, then everybody hears "get out" from that point forward. Because they can't wipe it from their mind, it's stuck. Yeah. It's stuck with that with that piece of audio. They think that's there, and that's that's where it comes into it. Without it being properly properly deduced, where in a scientific background you'd take the audio away from the situation, you'd give it to someone who had nothing to do with anything that was going on, and go, okay, what do you hear? And then they'd tell you what they heard, and then you give it to another, you know, twenty odd people to try and get a, an understanding of what the consensus is of what was heard, or opposed to what everybody thinks is heard because someone said one word. <laughs> In the categories of things that you indicated that you investigate, you didn't mention UFOs or UAPs, uh, and I'm sure that wasn't an unintentional omission, but do you find an overlap between ghost, apparition, spirit, demonic types of uh, events and UFO reports? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, I've I've not specifically investigated a UFO. I mean, I've read lots about UFOs. I mean... Uh, you read Kill's book on on the Mothman prophecies, and you, there's there's UFOs and there's uh, there's poltergeist activity, there's ghostly kind of aspects as well. Then cryptozoology. Um, you then in in contrast to that, you read um, uh, line, uh, Guy Lyon Playfair's book about the Enfield haunting. Uh, this house is haunted, and it does mention in there as well back in the seventies that there was a UFO frap over London at the same time as the, as the Enfield haunting. So I I have a strong a strong belief, I suppose is the best way to put it that there there are commonalities between UFOs and that, that that come into play with with this kind of phenomena if you like and it could be as simple as that one person interprets it one way and another person interprets it a different way so one person's UFO is another person's flying ghost spirit or or mothman sort of thing right and i'm certainly not going to ask you the big conclusion question yet we'll, <laughs> we'll build up to that maybe um all right. So, what are the, some of the most intriguing cases you've seen? Uh, and if you want to divide them up between demonic, ghostly, other, that that that's fine. However, you want to divide it in your mind. If you want to, if you wanted to match your website or to follow your books in order or blogs, I, however you want to organize it, I you know I have no preference. Uh, I'll be honest. I'll probably be completely disorganised because I'm still still um, faded from a little bit from last night from being up till three a.m. doing an investigation. But um, uh, yeah, in, in cases wise, I suppose historical cases that I've read about uh, the Enfield Horn is such an is, is a is a really interesting one as a poltergeist case. Um, still to this day, there's aspects of that that people don't. It, people, well, one one fen- one side of the fence is it's it was faked completely, and the other side is like, well, no, no, it's completely real and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's aspects of that that filter into that. There's loads of cases in America that kind of filter into similar kind of aspects as well, uh, like the Connecticut haunting and things like that. Um, uh, what other kind of cases? Um, the Mothman prophecies does that. That first fascinates me because I think that's 
because that has such a wide crossing over of different varieties of phenomena that's happening at once. That's quite a fascinating case. Um, as well as you've also got like conspiracy theories in there as well. So the whole, the whole, you've got like the whole picture in one big case. That's that's brilliant. Um, locations and things that I've investigated personally don't don't often go to that kind of extreme. Um, they're once in a million, almost once in a hundred years that you get decent cases like that, which is unfortunate. Well, you haven't been to West Virginia, you know, where the point pleasant. <laughs> but, yeah. but actually, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure that there is West Virginia, you know, mining. I'm sure if you go into Western, into Cornwell and Wells, there's, you know, mining country and things. It's probably fairly similar in a lot of ways. Well, I, I investigated, I investigated a, a lead silver mine actually in Wells myself, um, and it was, it was an old, an old, old one, but I think there was. It was it was quite quiet to be fair, but um, it was it was interesting, but not not paranormally interesting. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I suppose I'm interested to see what happens this year because I've noticed that there's been an increase of cases that I can't actually talk about right now. But it's been it's, it, it feels like there's been an interest, a, a bigger interest, and in an increase in cases this beginning of this year. So I think something's building, if you like, this year. So you might see some more coming out this year. Now, I've heard a lot of that, that something's building. Uh, and, you know, in, in fairness, you hear this every few years. And, and depending mm. on people's perspectives, that could be something really good or it can be something really bad. It, um, you know, and then the day rolls around and then it's, you know, with, and then days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years. And, and then nothing, <laughs> right, nothing happens. The timetable gets Re- reset. We we misinterpreted the Mayan calendar, or, or whatever it is, or <laughs> or with you know that wasn't the seventh sign, or that wasn't the real uh, uh, false idol. The the false idol is still coming. What you know, whatever it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't expect you to answer those uh, giant questions of the day, or or you know, and I'm sure you know for everyone's doomsday or or revelation, there's you know there's uh, un, you know counter versions and things like that. Um, what I what I'd love to do is if you know stick to things that uh, not stick to things, but focus on things that you actually experienced yourselves, your own investigations, and the ones that that you actually felt compelled about. I mean, you've written a few books, so obviously you can clearly talk about those things because why not? You might move some books. Um, so uh, you know what what are the what are the things that compelled you to write about that you felt yeah the world the world's going to want to read about this. So the main the main book I've, I've the the, the the other books I've done have been more like articles, I suppose. But the main, the main book I wrote was Supernatural Synchronicity that I co-authored with uh, Sarah Trimacero, who's an, another paranormal blogger from Australia. Um, never met her, but we co-authored it across across, across the wire, so to speak. Um, and the concept of that basically was a paranormal back and forth, if you like. So we'd come up with subjects, talk about it. Um, in a chapter, and then she would talk about it in her chapter as well, from a different perspective and how she she perceived things. The book's very much about understanding and what we think about the paranormal, but how we perceive it, and then throwing in lots of things. I mean, it covers a, a multitude of different aspects of the paranormal, um, from telepathy, psychokinesis, um, the pituitary, pituitary gland, um, uh, all kinds of different aspects of things. Perception of the paranormal, how people can perceive things differently from other people, and um, how belief plays a part, how um, how intention and attention can play a part in in in, in how what what you experience in an investigation or in any kind of circumstance as well. So it's a it's a kind of it's a, it's very much a back and forth kind of between a pair of us throughout throughout the book. Um, it's um, I I I like doing it because it's it's um, 
it's the, I, I like theorizing on the paranormal more so sometimes than than actually kind of uh, getting into the the standard the standard format that everybody else kind of follows um, because I think that there's a lot of aspects that are not being picked up or they are being picked up but not highlighted enough we we kind of slip into the the tv format which is which is an an overarching continuing kind of format that we we need to get past and start theorizing on things and to move forward what 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 is uh, what is the uh methodology what is the thing that you would like to see thing with a dopey word uh what what would you like to see focus on what would you like to see more investigators adopt I see a lot of things in the academic field where they're, they're looking into different aspects of um, testing aspects of um, psi and things like that. And I'd like I'd like to see that come into the field of the paranormal a little bit more because I think um, ghost hunts and things like that and even TV shows seem to follow the same reactive kind of format where they're, they're like I mentioned before about EVPs and stuff like that and running around in the dark and uh, and it just it, it seems a bit repetitive um, mm-hmm. to my perspective. It's good entertainment. Don't get me wrong, because <laughs> it's, it's you know the scary the scary Scooby Doo as we mentioned earlier as well. <laughs> Scooby Doo aspect of things. It's quite it's quite quite good entertainment. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's um, from a paranormal investigator's point of view. Sometimes it's frustrating because it's like, well, right. why are you doing that? <laughs> but um, in in other aspects, I'd like to see a bit a bit more kind of where they're expanding and looking at things from a different angle, trying a few more experiments and things like that. I mean. Um, I think the only thing I can, the only TV show or that I could probably mention that um, almost kind of started going down that route was the Hellier series that um, uh, that, that was done not so long ago, um, or three, two, two or three series I think it was. Um, they seem to do a lot of experimentation, which is quite good. Um, yeah, but but other than that, you don't uh, get very many TV shows that kind of angle out. There. Sorry, oh there, you were frozen for a second. You were saying the uh, Hellier uh, series. Yeah, so that's I think that's probably the only only one of the series that I could probably think off the top of my head that's recently tried more expect experimentation than uh, following the same pattern as other TV series. Okay, what what have you experienced yourself? What investigations have you found some validation for? And what category are they apparitions? Are they uh, extra uh, sensory powers, telekinesis the, with humans? Um, you know, or, or something else. What is it? Demonic. Um, or so, um, so I've done a lot. I've done a lot of work with a, a location in uh, the south of the south of England um, in Swanage called uh, the Royal Oak Pub, um, and they've they've done a lot of mediumship and trance mediumship work down there. Um, and I followed a lot of how how they've done things. So we had seance work and all that, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And working working with them, so they obviously their mindset was very spiritual about how things are working. Um, but what I found really fascinating about that story was um, they a few of them believed that they were a part. It was like a past life. So the people that had been there before and in like a hundred years previously was their past life, and they were almost that person sort of thing. And that was coming through in their in their in their mediumship and their trance mediumship. Um, so it's quite interesting to kind of talk that, and that kind of took me away from what my usual comfort zone was, so to, to look more into the spiritual kind of aspect of things, which is a bit weird. Um, and that fascinated me because it, I, I, was, I began looking at that from a point of view as well. Is it is it that it's a past life situation, or is there some kind of um, 
collective consciousness that's connecting them together through time and space and all that kind of stuff that brings that information through and then and then and that builds it all together is the building itself because it's related to the building as well does the building itself have something that's doing that you begin to ask the questions about where's the information coming from and how's it being built together and that kind of that 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 whole location is is an ongoing kind of investigation that i've been doing that in and that's that's quite a fascinating one and that's we get that's that's something i've been investigating now for 10 years um and also writing a book about as well so okay um all right uh when i said angelic you sort of made a, a face but if there's demons there's <laughs> probably also angels uh and you know england is you know one of those countries sort of known for the the fey folk the the fairies the sprites the you know whatever do, do you think that's a different category than demons or ghosts do you think that they're all the same thing just interpreted different ways um or do you think that they are different kinds of non-human uh beings that either share in our existence or visit from a, a, a you know another dimension or another realm I, I don't know a better way to put it um i suppose there's been there's been lots of stories and informa- information and, and things that is out there I, i've personally never experienced anything that that makes me think that there's anything other than odd things that happen i suppose is the best way to put it um I, I don't think there's i've not i've not got any evidence to support that there's demons fairies angelics or anything like that currently in my own experiences um so i have to go with the evidence and the information that i've got available to me as a person individually so that's that's kind of how i total, total that up in, in a way um and then just provide an understanding from that point of view um, I don't discount it because just because I don't, haven't had the experience myself doesn't mean it doesn't it hasn't happened or it doesn't exist. Um, so I have to kind of build that knowledge up to understand what it's saying. I've not had that experience. So I, I don't I don't have personal experience that it exists, but I, can't, I don't discount it. <laughs> if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes sense. Um, no, I mean, it's also a big question, and to think I'm going to get a easy answer is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long shot, but I, I have to take it. All right. So on your website, you have a bunch of interesting blog posts, including uh, the, the ten most haunted places in the UK. You have something called the Devil's Hour. So I want to start with the Devil's Hour. I mean, it's sort of, it might be self-explanatory, but not everyone has done a show called Garden of Doom for three years. So uh, <laughs> let's start with the de- what is the Devil's Hour? Uh, the Devil's Hour is a TV program, I believe, if I remember rightly. Um, and it just it was uh, in the UK here um, and it was about if I remember rightly it was about a guy who lived his life but every time he died he then kind of reset and then came back and then he could re- but he would remember his previous life existence and then mm-hmm. so when he lives his life when he gets to the point where he would have died the previous time he could change he could change his life so he didn't die that time if that makes sense and he could influence <laughs> other people as well in the same in the same way the problem was that it, it was almost like um, it felt a little bit like dimensional slips as well, and all that kind of stuff. It's quite, it was quite fascinating in, in, a, in as a story, but it, it it captured these things capture my imagination sometimes, and, and then that gets me kind of thinking, and then I write I write a blog post about it, um, and obviously tip my hat to the, the source, um, which is on this case was a TV show, and it's it's just um, but it's it, you think about it, you think the, with everything else, you think well, there's a possibility. <laughs> Right. Um, so, so, so it's built built off the back of a TV show. So it's it's purely, purely kind of a um, sort of a fictional back, background, but at the same time, it's like 
it does feed in as fiction does. It feeds feeds from obviously experiences and things like that that they've obviously obviously pulled from, and then and on ideas and expanded on them massively and exaggerated on them as well. Um, uh, on on the site though, it did say the Devil's Hour is sort of the uh, a time when the veil is the thinner. And, that's great. Know, maybe you could put a better definition on that than than I just did. Oh uh, yeah, so there's, there's also the other interpretation of the Devil's Hour being um, either the I think it's, is it the three the three a.m. which is the opposite to three p.m. which is uh, the the um, the called the witching hour or the or the devil's hour when the veil's short is between the two the two worlds of the spirit world and and the um and obviously the living world and all that kind of stuff and it's the the opposite sort of to um the time that you'd have mass and all that kind of stuff so there's a kind of a religious aspect and, and really it's relation to god and stuff i'm not particularly brilliant on that stuff i'll be honest but <laughs> okay um all right so uh on the list of the the 10 most haunted places in the UK. I think one was Peterborough Museum. Um, you earlier referenced the famous Jamaica House. Uh, the Jamaica House isn't, isn't famous to me. Of course, I'm in a different continent over a different ocean. So, so, so uh, you know, if the Jamaica House is something supernatural associated with it, I'd love to hear it. Otherwise, what are some of the, the top 10? And since you specifically noted the Peterborough Museum, what what is the story, lore, reality uh, existing within the Peterborough Museum. So Peterborough Museum is always um, back in a few years back now because I investigated that a few years, a couple of times, a few years back, um, and it had um, a lot of reports of activity, uh, audible, audible voices, doors shutting by themselves, objects moving, all that kind of stuff. So we we investigated the location, um, and on one occasion when we investigated the location, we actually got objects moving by themselves, or sorry, I'll rephrase that, an object moving by itself, not objects. Um, and we ca- we captured that, um, and we've, we've captured other bits and pieces. I've, I stood at the bottom of the staircase, the main staircase in the Peterborough Museum, and noted that the the the, the, the light basically just almost it was almost like it drained out of the room, um, so it got darker and the atmosphere changed. Um, and then from that point, we seemed to have a lot more activity for a little while, and then it kind of drained off again. So it's, it was quite an active location for a while. Um, oddly, <laughs> usually. In the paranormal, they kind of refer to places when they get renovated, then the activity kicks off. For us, the Peterborough Museum got renovated or at least changed around like they do with museums on a regular basis. Um, they kind of done that, done a refit at the museum, and it kind of flatlined and stopped being active. So it went the opposite way. So, But um, for a while, it was it was a quite quite the uh, the active location, and quite a few people said that it was quite active as well. It doesn't You don't hear much about it now, but it was, it was quite active back then. What are some of the other uh, sort of most haunted places in the UK, and, and you know, and, and if any of them are ones that might be recognisable to you know pe- people you know around the world, uh, you know, not just local. If not, this local is fine. Um, I mean, the ones that I've investigated, um, I, can, I can talk about. I mean, I mentioned the Royal Oak. That's that's quite. I think that's quite an active location. Um, the, Jamaica, the Jamaica Inn that I visited last night. That was my first time visiting it. Actually, that's supposed to be quite active. I. I'll be honest, I didn't have much success there last night, but others in other groups did have, have some success. And there's a lot of stories and background and lore that goes around the Jamaica into smugglers and um, all kinds of stories that date, date quite far back as well. So um, that's quite an interesting location and sat on the moors in Cornwall and all that kind of stuff as well. So it's quite nice. Um, Bob and Jail is supposed to be quite, it's also in that direction, same location down uh, near near to the Jamaica Inn, that's supposed to be relatively quite haunted as well, and the Skirid Inn as well, which is in South Wales. Um, 
well, I've been uh, Morecambe Winter Gardens um, Theatre up north in in England. That's that's quite haunted as well. Um, we picked up a few things there. Um, uh, that was when I went there. That was a basically a derelict theatre. Um, that was quite quite interesting. Um, oh, where else have I been? Uh, Secunda Secunda Manor. Uh, that's an old manor house. That's quite that's quite interesting. That not um, more taps and raps and things like that. Um, as a haunted location, um, Langard Thought Fort. Sorry, um, that's a huge, huge fact. That's that's quite that's quite good, quite quite haunted. And then you've got some massive other ones. I mean, Edinburgh's. I've never been, but Edinburgh's got some locations that are really haunted and stuff like that. And also you've got elements of um, in London as well that are quite haunted. But um, London locations are generally expensive beyond belief, so it's difficult to get into them. What is that the the castle where they did all the execute? It's like Blackbridge, Black something. It's what, the, the um, in in in, uh, in London. The tower. Yeah, um, they, they did a lot of executions there. It's called. Oh, I can't believe I can't the remember tower, the Tower of London. Well, I tower never of London. Uh, well, unless there's a different a different sort of uh, slang name, but is is there a particularly like haunted place that's historic due to the amount of executions that the different monarchs did in in that particular location? I mean, uh, yeah, the towers the towers synonymous with being for, for executions and heads on spikes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Can't think of another one off the top of my head. Um, the another another good castle is um, is um, not, uh, not Windsor. It's not one. Um, oh God! Uh, nope, just took my mind. I can't remember what it is. There's another. There is another one. Um, oh, there's actually quite a few to be fair around the UK. Lots of castles. Um, let's come back to it because my mind's gone. My mind's gone blank. Sorry, I apologise. If it comes to you, you bring it up. Um, have you found any validation of? Of what's largely called as a overarching term, the Fey folk. The Fey folk, oh, the fairies and stuff. Uh, no, <laughs> simply. Okay. Um, I haven't looked into it in detail, but um, uh, it's fascinating. But I, no, I haven't found any supportive evidence on, on yeah. that. No. I, I've met a few people. I mean, I, I'm not talking about through the show. Obviously, if I have a guest on the show about something, they're going to tell me that it's real and, and their reports and their experiences. But I've met a couple of people in just by coincidence in regular life. Like there's a woman that lives near me who's from Iceland, and one of the first things she said to me was, the, "You know, the, the Fey folk—they're they're real, you know." Uh, and it didn't come out. It wasn't just like that's what she tells everyone. It's because I people I knew were going to Iceland that came up. I would say, "No, they're going on a trip," and and you know it was a running joke because they didn't bring me. So I, w- I would send them articles on Iceland and trolls every day so that they would get afraid of trolls. And I told her that story thinking it was ha-ha-ha. And she's like, you know that's all real. And then I met someone from Finland as well. Basically similar kind of thing. It you know came up in conversation because, you know, what else am I going to talk about other than I have a podcast? Other than that, I'm not, I'm not particularly interesting, you know. Um, and and then even when you talk about what it's about and, and then when I meet people from other countries, I want to know, you know, are they... Do they have any particular expertise in the folklore, the myths of their region? You know, because I, I love having people internationally and from different countries on the show. And uh, she also said, "Well, the Fey folk are absolutely real." And 
Uh, neither one is committed to come on the show yet, but uh, uh, that, that, and that may or may not be fine. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if they'd be a good speaker or anything like that either yet either. Uh, anyway, enough about that. Let's let's go to cryptozoology, which is, in addition to paradoila, one of my favorite words out there. I I, I love the word. I love when I learn the word. Um, so, what has your experience and your investigations related to cryptozoology? Uh, been what have they found? I mean, most of most of my experience with that has been research based because obviously, um, again, these are these are, these are aspects. I mean, most, obviously, the, the most prominent ones are like Mothman and, and Bigfoot are ones that everyone knows. Um, uh, you've got other aspects, uh, that, like, like fae, fae people would, or fairy people would be would, would come under cryptozoology as well. But I mean, there's it's not an easy one to investigate. Um, unless you do go out into the wilds after getting for Bigfoot, um, so a lot of it's been um, reading. To be fair, I just, I just find it fascinating because um, uh, my mum, growing up, my mum's quite into biology and, and the environment and stuff like that. Um, so she would she would kind of like bestow upon us, if you like, the realisms of the world and, and the environment and stuff like that. So um, a good example being um, the the Loch Ness monster. My mum would always tell me it could not exist because the the uh, the environment itself, the ecosystem there, wouldn't be able to support a, a, an animal that size living in that kind of environment. So it's not it's not possible. And it's like, well, well, how would it be possible then? <laughs> and they kind of like, so I kind of like asking the question about what would make that possible. And obviously, you get the the, the almost like the conspiracy theories of there's a tunnel that goes from the lake from the um, from the lock, sorry, uh, the lock Ooh. out to the ocean and that kind of stuff. And that's how it's possible. But and then but then it's like, well. Why does it come every now and then? It's like so you get, but then, but then there's why one? There's not. There's got to be more. So just, you can't sustain a whole, a whole community of those kind of animals without there being more than that. Um, so it's it kind of like they're they're kind of like a, a ghost and a ghost in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've read something actually once before about um, about Bigfoot as well, where people almost got to a belief, a belief point where rather than it being a physical, a physical animal that you just haven't managed to. You know, see properly. Maybe it was some kind of spirit animal or some kind of spirit that appeared, and people saw it like that. And, that, and I thought that's quite interesting because again, we slipped back into this aspect that we were talking about earlier about the UFO fraps at the same time as poltergeist cases and all that kind of stuff. Where you get people having different understandings and beliefs that then gives them a different perception about what they're seeing. So one man's ghost is another man's another man's Bigfoot, or is another man or another person's alien, or another person's goblin, or another person's fairy. And just because their belief system or something has a different angle. It gives them a different kind of thing they see, um, I and mean that for me that, that that puts me in a situation where I go, okay, so all these things that people are witnessing or seeing, are they seeing them in their head, <laughs> or or are they witnessing something physically in front of them, or are they witnessing something that's not quite in this dimension or reality and is in a different one, and they just have the ability to kind of see beyond that and kind of like. My my imagination and thought processes go a little bit way out there sometimes, and it's like, wow. No, no, you into these kind of I, I find that very interesting. That, that basically what you are uh, hypothesizing is that it's possible that the Loch Ness monster is sort of like the um, I don't know rep, reptilian amphibious equivalent of like the Flying Dutchman. 
It's uh, instead of a yeah. ghost ship, it's a ghost animal. And I've heard that yeah. about Bigfoots. You know, they, you know, Bigfoots have turned from ape men into you know a noble creature, very smart, outsmarted us, is peaceful, doesn't want to be with us. To they're from other dimensions, and they have they have super technology, and basically they're like from Wakanda. They live they live in an area that we can't see because they haven't shielded. You know, everything they've gone from basically being you know. Uh, more human gorillas to uh, you know uh, superhumans, um, but as we were talking, and I promise you this is true, I'd never thought about this before. But you know, ghosts are basically our ancestors, and I was thinking that you know one of the things I hate about a lot of shows like um, True Blood was that you know they're in this little town and all of a sudden it turns out that like everybody's supernatural and the whole charm of it in the beginning is that you know you're in this little town and all and there's a vampire there and then it turns out like you know 40 miles away in another town there's like a, another little colony of vampires and, you know and then and, and okay give me one werewolf give me one wolf but it's like everyone in this town of like you know 2,000 people is, is supernatural i hate that but when it comes to ghosts i mean ghosts are are departed you know ancestors of the people and you know humans have been around in Homo sapiens sapien form for you know three hundred thousand years to a million years depending, and our ancestors, depending on how far you want to go back, are millions of years, but at least you know at least seven million years since our ancestor and the chimpanzees' ancestor split off. Where am I going with this? That once they became some level of other sentience where they could have some sort of spirit, like couldn't it be possible that, that the ghosts are Australopithecine, that they are Homo habilis, that they are erectus, that they are, you know, Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, Denisovans, you know, the, the, the Homo floriensis, that, that people are seeing ghosts of not just Homo sapiens, but everything in the hominid chain for whatever reason. And so that you're seeing different shapes, forms, ethnicities, if that's even the right word, uh, for the, but, but characteristics and traits, you know, so, you might see a ghostly Bigfoot that is, you know, uh, with white fur because it was in the, you know, the Arctic or in the Himalayas, whereas in South America you may see one more in jungle colors, like, you know, like, you know, the orangutan color or whatever. And here in the U.S. you might see more, you know, browns and blacks like your, you know, like, like bear colors. Um, do you think there might be anything to that, the spirits of sort of not just our human sapien ancestors, but everything in the human chain going back... Who knows how far? If, if I mean, if if you take the situation that ghosts, if, if you take ghosts to exist, then I, I think yeah, you have to you have to accept that because I mean, um, one thing that always troubled me with the ghost, the ghost whole, the whole ghost thing is people would always see mostly not always there's 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 some some exceptions, but mostly people would see ghosts that kind of went back to like Victorian times, and and forward to our time, and that was about it. Um, you wouldn't have, you didn't seem to get much before that. Uh, there's a few, a few cases where people have seen uh, like uh, a legion of Romans and things like that. But these always seem to be, if you, the ghosts that they see always seem to be people that they can identify quite easily. Things that have gone through schooling and all that kind of stuff. So Romans is a big thing in this country where you learn about what kind of aspect of things. Victorian is an area that you learn about quite a lot as well, so you can identify that area. And obviously up beyond that, up to modern times, we all understand that kind of aspect of things, so we we can identify that. But like you said. We can't identify going further, further, much further, further back than that. So, like, you know, it's all like um, caveman kind of situations easily. So, when we see something like that, rather than go, oh, it's a ghost, you immediately flip to, oh, it's a, some kind of animal that I haven't been identified before. And all of a sudden, you've got a Bigfoot. 
Yeah, so I, I think I, th- I think there's credibility to it. To be fair, as if it's a possible route. To be fair, especially I mean, especially when you think how elusive these animals are. Right. If you have a, a ghost of a Australopithecus robustus or whatever, which I'm not sure if that's a real thing or not, uh, you know, <laughs> may, maybe that appears to someone, you know, as a troll or an ogre somewhere, or uh, yeah. you know, or, or you know, or a Bigfoot, depending on where you are, what 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 it appears to you, you know, or if you have a Homo floresiensis, which are called the Hobbit people, you know, maybe it appears as a Hobbit or a gnome or a dwarf or you know, an elf or, or wherever you are. I, I don't know. It's just uh, something that's been bouncing around my head. Actually, it came up while you were talking. I, I, I don't think I've ever had that thought before, but it strikes me, you know, you know, ghosts usually have unfinished business, you know, either with people or a place. Um, that That's sort of the typical ghost story. I don't know if that's the reality of ghosts. Uh, I don't know that we've established the reality of ghosts, and we don't have to here. I don't think it's not possible. But, um, uh, you know, but if that's the case why wouldn't, you know, everything that had some consciousness sentience, um, you know, it doesn't just have to be related to, you know, primate. It, it could, you know, there could be dogs, wolves, cats, bears, and, you know, the, you know the, they have they have trauma too. I mean, we, we, you know, if, if they suffered a ignomious death or, you know, uh, you know, the bisons were fooled into going down the, you know, going over the cliff and, you know, they have, they have some memory of that that you may get the, you know, ghost herds, the white buffalo. I don't know. This is, I, I probably should shut up about this because this, this, this could be my theory. This could be, this could be a thing that, that puts me on the map, but uh, whatever. Then maybe the show is, this too. anyway, this is, this is my idea. Cop, this, this show is protected by copyright. So everyone knows this is my theory <laughs> and, and I claim it as, I haven't heard it from anyone else. So I claim it as original. Um, anyway. Uh, anyway, you have you've actually seemed to have absorbed and said maybe, uh, which, which is good enough for me. Tell tell us your best, favorite, scariest, most directly experienced war tale. Sorry, one of your investigations where some where you saw something you said whoa. Uh. Okay, it's been a few. Yeah, I suppose I've seen um, an apparition walk past the door. Um, it wasn't really a scary moment because rather than going, "Oh my god, I'm scared," I, I tried to debunk the situation. Thought it was some kind of light bouncing off of something, so I spent ten minutes trying to. Rather than chasing it down the corridor and you know trying to find out more, I actually wasted my time trying to. Find, so that's a kind of rubbish story, but it's it's it's, it's an apparitional kind of story. So I saw saw that. Um, I've. I've encountered, um, whilst at a location, I've encountered like a, um, I don't know what you'd call it. You'd probably call it like a, a, a black mass or something in, in front of you kind of thing from like floor to, floor to ceiling kind of thing. But um, whilst other people seem to feel dread about this kind of thing, I, I was more along the lines of kind of like, this is, in, this is interesting. <laughs> and and I, I, um, I've got this annoying thing where, because I'm looking for the paranormal and trying to find things, rather than getting scared or running away or anything like that, um, I'm, I quite get quite focused on trying to figure out what it might be that I'm encountering, whether it's me who's overtired and experiencing or hallucinating or something like that because of you know the situation. Um, I I overthink things sometimes, um, but this was just a weird situation where there was a a darkened point in the, in the room that was it was there, there in front of me. And I couldn't really explain it to be fair um, during investigation, but I, I didn't feel anything dark or looming. You know that kind of that kind of aspect of scariness um the 
most interesting, I suppose, is, is, is trance mediumship that I found quite interesting, to be fair, because I, I, I kind of evaluate a few people I and mean, then having people almost change their entire personas and have different voices coming out of them and communicating um, was quite fascinating. I found that really fascinating, almost like this person that I'd spoken to earlier in the day and learned a lot about to make sure that I couldn't, I could understand who they were. All of a sudden, was a completely, completely different person. It was completely out of character for them, um, but yet they completely commanded the situation and everything like that. And then, and then it was gone again. And it's like so. Trans, trans mediumship is it's something that I find quite, quite fascinating. Um, but I have recognised that you have to be quite cautious about it due to the fact that not everyone is as um, honest about the situation as they should be, if that's the best way to put it, I think. Yeah, there are people who can be acting. I mean, you have people who are good at, good actors. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're in the situation, perhaps there's ways to tell. I mean, obviously in the movies and TV, you know, the, the voice becomes something that's completely not human with bass and echo or whatever that somebody would have to go through Herculean efforts to fake. But in, in, in the real world, you know, it may just be sort of a you know, a different personality type of shift. And, and you know, uh, you know, if anyone ever watched Robin Williams, you know that uh, people can do that. You know, there are people who have oh, that, yeah. that, that, that ability. Um, so that, that's, that's probably a good, good words to heed. A healthy dose. I mean, a lot of scientists call themselves skeptics, and I think that there's a reason for it, that they, you know, you should approach everything with a bit of skepticism, especially, you know, when you're in an industry, a world where, you know, the, the world's going to look at you with skepticism too. I think it's healthy that, that skepticism is part of your methodology. It, it lends some credibility to it. Um, so you get your case leads through the organization. People send requests, I imagine, or do they send like supporting videos or uh, documents or, or are they just sort of pleas for help or does it come in all shapes and sizes? Um, it comes in all shapes and sizes, and at the moment they come from. So I, I pick up cases through the spontaneous cases committee within the uh, Society for Cycle Research. Um, from them, I get some through my website as well. Um, I've, I've got an active case that I'm working on at the moment um, that came through my website. So, um, they, and they do come in all shapes and sizes. They come from um, the initial ones, which are basically, um, you know, uh, last week. Two, two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I had this experience and they tell us about their experience and then uh, we reach out to them, talk to them about it, gather the, get, gather the information about that experience and then document it and then put it into the, the SPR archives um, or it's something that's actively happening there and then to them. So they're basically they're experiencing something and it's continuous experience in terms. So it's like um, some strange oddities are happening in their house and they're not quite sure what's going on so they've reached out for assistance to understand it most of the time. Um, it's not... It's, it's not really about um, it's causing them harm, and it's not really about them trying to eradicate it or anything like that. It's often it's often about understanding. It's like what what is it that is happening? Why why is this strange? Why th- why are things moving around in my kitchen? Or um, why is the weird ghost hiding my cushions? Um, that's really a really real case as well. Um, uh, down to uh, one guy that I spoke to in Canada um, who he witnessed a a guy cycle down a road. Um, and then just disappear because he was because the guy that was cycling down the road was clearly an apparition. So and then, but he reached out to us and we documented that and 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 then put that into the archives. Um, 
and then try, so and if anyone else can pick it up. So basically, it's just a case of getting that information and, and keeping track of it and, like, and getting the facts rather than over exaggerating the situation. The bicyclist is that something that repeated itself? Is that why you were called into the, to investigate? No, had had once completely once. Uh, this guy uh, was waiting for his son to come back from school on on a bus because he goes to meet him from a location. He stood there on the side of the road on his phone, um, looked up, saw a cyclist coming down the road. Um, and, like his phone beeped, he looked back down, then looked back up again within a split second, and the cyclist was gone. And there was nowhere. No, he sent me pictures of the road, the layout of the road. I even went on like Google Maps and zoomed into it and all that kind of stuff and looked at it. And it's like there was nowhere for the cyclist to go. It just like in a split second, it was completely gone. And he, it, the clothing the cyclist was wearing seemed a bit off and all that kind of stuff as well. You couldn't say what era or anything it came from, but it just didn't seem like something that someone would be wearing that in that in the modern times. Gotcha. So. Yeah, they're, 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 you know, we have similar, you know, uh, you can call them ghost stories, you can call them urban legends. So I, I found most urban legends simply are just ghost stories, which I don't mean just in a, in a pejorative, it's just that they're, they're sort of synonymous. Um, but, you know, we've got the, the hitchhiker, you know, uh, or, or, you know, that the, the sort of, or the, you know, well, yeah, the, the hitchhiker is one of them, um, you know, or the, the call on the house or the knock on the door of the babysitter. I mean, that's sort of similar to a, you know, bicyclist that, that uh, you know, sort of a, you know, a ghostly motorist. I mean, I know a bicycle doesn't have a motorcycle. I can't think of the pro- proper word right now. Anyway, unimportant. Uh, I know that you had a hard stop. So I want you to take these last few minutes before you have to go to, you know, one, if there's anything I should have asked you and didn't that you want to talk about, feel free. Um, that just let people know uh, where they can find you, how they can support you, um, you know, how they can purchase your books and, and you know, whatever it is that, that you would like to get out there into the universe. So um, you can find me find me on the internet on my website, which is ashleynib.com. Um, That's nice, nice and easy to follow. Um, I blog on there on a regular, regular basis about cases, um, ideas, uh, theories, um, around the paranormal on a re- much on a regular basis. Um, my books are on there as well, the link to my books, um, so you can get get to them from there. Um, I'm on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well, I think. Um, um, I'm not an avid social media type person, but I do pop up every now and then to add, add to posts and stuff like that. Um, I'm not on YouTube. I, I am on YouTube, but I'm not. Um, I can't get into YouTube. <laughs> it's like, um, too old, I think. Um but yeah, the, the, the website is probably the best place to find me because that's where you'll find any any blogs or posts on there and links to other, other bits and pieces that I'm doing. Sometimes, um, sometimes you can find me in um, the Haunted magazine as well. Um, uh, I do an art, I think got an article coming out in the next issue of that as well. All right, excellent. All right, folks, and you can find me on Twitter at IcarusFellMD. Garden of the Doom does have a Facebook page, not a group, but a page. But we can interact. Um, and I try to put something on there, you know, every few days, uh, you know, sometimes more than once a day, something interesting that fits within our parameters. Uh, and uh, you can check out my other podcasts as well if you're interested. Garden Views is obviously on the same feed as Garden of Doom. Um, so anyway, Ashley, thank you for that. And just before we go, how is it that you know Dr. Parry? And is it correct when someone is a doctor and a reverend that you go Dr. Reverend Parry as opposed to Reverend Doctor? <laughs> Um, I met him a good few years ago now at, a, at the first uh, UK para, paranormal convention. We were both both talking at that, uh, and we met there. And 
started talking and I think we just kind of hit it off because of the weird and wonderful ideas and stuff like that that we both kind of like got into and talk about some of that so it's just just a, a random friendship uh, oddly at the same time that we both met um brian cano as well from Portland collector so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed on your website that you had something with uh, barry fitzgerald and barry barry's been on this show i think it's the same barry fitzgerald because it's well it's a big world in, in this world it's sort of a small world so that, that, that was a that was a fun little find there um, so, uh, yeah, and he, and he was a wonderful guest. So, all right. Well, thank you very much for your time. As you said, you were up until three last night. I also was, was up very late, <laughs> caught a five hour nap in, in between. Maybe you didn't have that advantage. So I thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us in Garden on Doom. And when you are ready to talk about some of the exciting things that you can't talk about yet, because they're still in the works, maybe, maybe you'll come back and talk to us about them then. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Cheers. Cheers.